We're going to be looking uh, at uh, kind of another iteration of the series we've been looking at, basically taking on theological topics and then uh, just kind of exploring what are the implications for the way that we live, uh, kind of the series uh, kind of entitled, How Then Shall We Live, borrowing from many different authors with that title. Uh, but given theological truths that come out of the scriptures, how does it change how we live and how we see life? And so today we're going to just take on the topic of grace. And, and uh, it at times feels somewhat, well, yeah, we got that one, but do we just merely understand the grace of God or do we truly frame our lives around the grace of God. And so Romans 3 is going to lead us in that. So I welcome you to stand as we just look at this passage and uh, see what God has for us today in his word. So Paul's writing this, and he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, and that's God's law, uh, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine, divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, God, be with us. Teach us by your spirit. I pray that you would speak with power. Father, convince us. Uh, of the truth of the gospel. Father, remind us of this truth. As Pete talked about earlier, God, would you drive out the accusations of the evil one because of the truth of the gospel that we are accepted in your sight by your grace. Father, I pray that you draw us all. For those in this room, God, who don't know you by faith today, would today be the day of salvation? Would you uh, allow blind eyes to see? deaf ears to be able to hear your truth. God, give us life and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Be seated. You may have heard the phrase, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And at times we even marvel at people who don't quit. You know, those people that just grind away, working hard as they can day after day, year after year. Uh, you know, they just keep plugging along. Think of the, the, uh, the athlete that might not have the most natural ability, you know, not the most naturally gifted, but they just grinded their whole life and uh, they made it to the professional ranks. We love that kind of story. Yet, what happens when your 
uh, that the, you know, what, what, what you face is not just trying to get to the NFL or professional baseball. What if you face an insurmountable hurdle, like the holiness of God, and you realize that you can't grind away, you can't fix yourself, you can't, uh, no matter how hard you try, you cannot meet the standard that God sets in front of you. What do we do with that? And so this passage in Romans 3 basically just pushes against and pushes back our natural way of thinking, which is, you know, work to fix your problems. You see a problem, you fix it, right? And in uh, the verses we read earlier, uh, 19 and 20 especially, it describes the law of God because the law of God in that we are now accountable to God for our lives. That because of the law of God, and that's what he sets out in his word, even in that we actually now have a knowledge of sin. Not just a vague understanding of what it is, but that sin is transgressing the word of God and his decrees for this world. But even more pointed, we have an awareness of our rebellion and our stubbornness against God. And, uh, but yet... Even though the law was given to God's people, the law, according to Romans 3 and many other places, the law of God cannot justify you. What does it mean to justify? Is to make you right before God, to kind of uh, validate who you are, to, uh, to make you understand that uh, you are Uh, right in the sight of God, that the law of God cannot do that for you. uh, Romans 3 even says, since no human being can keep it. So the law can't justify you because you can't keep it. It pushes back against the, the natural human solution to things, which is see a problem, work, and fix the problem. Work to straighten your life out. If you feel like your life's in disarray, what do you do? right? Your life's in chaos. Well, you're going to get organized, right? You're going to buy a new task manager. You're going to find a better app. You're going to get organized. If you don't like the way you look, you start running. You start working out. What? We see the problem, and then we work to fix the problem. But then there are a few issues with that way of thinking here, Because if you look back in Romans 3, the first verses 9 through 18, right before our passage, we don't just have a problem, we have a massive problem. Because Romans 3, verses 9 to 18, if you go back and look at it, it describes the depravity of the human heart. It's a bleak picture. It is hopeless And we have, if we think we can work our way out of this problem, we have woefully underestimated what our issues are. Romans 3 would describe our our picture, our, our bleak predicament this way, that no one is righteous, not even one. No one seeks God. No one does good. There is no fear of God in them. That's the natural human condition. No one's righteous, not even one. No one seeks God. No one does good. There's no fear of God in you. Now go work your way out of that. 
Not only have we underestimated the problem, we've actually misdiagnosed the problem in that since people are not seeking God in our natural state, they are actually working to fix something, but are working in the completely wrong direction. Because if you're not seeking God, you you recognize something's off in your life, but you're going to seek to fix it in a way that doesn't seek after the one who can actually set things right. In verse 20, is the big uh uh-oh, that no human being will be justified by the work of the law. Actually, our actions, they don't justify us, they actually condemn us. What's interesting is then in verse 21 comes this great word, but. It's the word of contrast on the scriptures. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to us. So we're going to describe and look at what that is. Since we have a problem that we cannot fix ourselves, that we are so buried in this predicament, in our rebellion and stubbornness against God, there's no way to work your way out of it, no way to fix it. What do we do? It is that God in, in, is the one who gives us a righteousness that we don't work for. And in that, we obtain what we need apart from our work. Okay? Now, can you hear how this is somewhat like uh, un-American? Like, you know, the American way is you work hard, you get what you deserve. The gospel is not that. The gospel's antithetical to that concept. The gospel is everything you're working for is, is just rubbish. Everything you're working for is nothing. You can't work your way out. The gospel is you don't work. Someone else works for you and you get all the benefit. That sounds great, but man, don't we, don't we re- react against that? Our solution comes from outside of us outside of our work, and that drives us crazy. No, I want to get things straight. I want to do it. I want to get things uh, working. I want to straighten things out. But our hope, our righteousness, our salvation comes apart from the law, apart from our work. And the law and the prophets, the reason those were capital letters, capital law, capital L law, and capital P prophets, that's the Old Testament. All of the Old Testament has been pointing to this fact. They were pointing to the fact that your work can't set you right before God. So the very law itself said you can't set yourself right. It was pointing to Jesus. And so that word manifested uh, in, in the verse, in verse, uh, in verse 21, uh, that, you know, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's basically to be displayed, to be made known. Uh, and so it is made known, the law and the prophets bear witness to it, verse 22, that the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believed. Verse 24 says that we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, 
If you need a theological dictionary, just look at these six, words, six verses. Because, uh, you know, we've already seen righteousness. We've looked at justified. We're going to see redemption. We've looked at uh, all of these different concepts. But how are you saved? Here are some very important phrases. You are saved in Jesus Christ. How, are you, how is that? It is through faith. In verse 24, it is by grace, as a gift. There are no exceptions. There's no distinction. What Paul's saying is that your salvation and my salvation, my hope and your hope, is in Jesus through faith, by grace, as a gift, not by your work. There are no exceptions. There's no distinction. Verse 20, the end of 22 For all, that means everyone, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned. And that idea of sin is uh, kind of from ancient literature. It's the word that is used to describe archery. When an archer is shooting an arrow and misses the target, misses the mark, uh, that, that sin is us missing the mark of the glory of God. But it's way more than behavior. It is way more than behaviors that miss the mark of God's law. The fuller sense of sin would include the idolatry of my heart and yours, the things that you worship and trust in other than the living God, and then even our propensity to suppress the truth. And so so how does any of this become salvation to us? If it's not by work, how does it become salvation is the idea of faith. And if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus by faith, that you say, I am resting on you, Jesus, and you alone, that your death on the cross paid for my sin, your perfect life of righteousness is now counted and put into my account, that I'm counted as righteousness because of that, and I rest in your resurrection to give me new life. Jesus, I trust in that by faith. If you have never come to that place, salvation is not yours. Because you are resting on your work before the holy and righteous God. And I hope you hear that your work before God is not going to amount to anything. You have to rest on the work of Jesus on your behalf. And that's why through faith... Faith is the instrument by which we receive Christ and his righteousness. Now, make sure you hear this. Scripture never says that you are saved or justified or made right before God on account of faith. There's a huge difference. You are not right before God because you had so much faith that God now says you are right. It's not account, uh, on account of your faith. It is through faith that you receive it. So we can't even take pride in the receiving and the faith that we have. Ephesians 2 says it, in fact, is a gift. It comes to us by resting, not by our productivity, not by our hard work. Jesus says, rest on me. And that's why we get these words like propitiation, which is basically uh, a sacrifice or an atoning sacrifice. Uh, But it's by the blood of Jesus 
to turn away the anger and the wrath of God. God shows his, his righteousness in that he would, in fact, pour out his wrath on his son. Because if, if the righteousness of God was, didn't amount to that, why would he then turn around and pour out his wrath on his son? He never would. It speaks to the sense that we are freely justified by God through the work of Jesus on the cross. The word justification or righteousness are these, are these concepts. It's a legal standing where God declares us to be right, declares us to be accepted, declares over us that we are his and he is well pleased with us. Now think back over your last month. In terms of living according to the will of God, in terms of temptation, motivations, thoughts about your family, your friends, your work, all of that, would you say God's, God is going to look at all that and say, I am well pleased? I think if we start adding and doing the math, we're like, eh, I don't know about that. God, God might be okay with me. God might tolerate me. But the beauty of the gospel is not that God just lets you eke in. The beauty of the gospel is he declares over you that he is well pleased with you. The beauty of the gospel is as God declares that over his son Jesus, as much as he is enamored with his son Jesus, he is enamored with you if you by faith have received salvation. Now, there's a huge dis disconnect. Your brain's saying, no, you failed terribly. And God is saying, I am well pleased. That's the gospel. And that's the gospel we need to hear. That's the gospel our, our, uh, our, our culture needs to hear. That's the gospel that we need to live according to. So, as I was looking for this, uh, to kind of come to uh, this sermon and just prepare for it, I ran across one of my favorite illustrations, and I used it eight years ago. And, uh, and it was a story of a, of a pastor in Chicago and, uh, and his son. And his son was a great kid all the way up through high school, you know, at about 19 or 20 years old. His son uh, started just kind of uh, moving away from the family. Uh, just, um, he didn't come home for birthdays, didn't come home for holidays, and dove headlong into the drug culture of Chicago. He cut off contact with his family for a year and a half, and, uh, but yet one Saturday night, actually into Sunday morning, this pastor receives a call at like 2 a.m. And it was the police and said, hey, uh, your son's been arrested for um, a DUI. We have your son come and get him out of jail. And so, of course, he goes down to the police station where they lived. And they said, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't have your son here. He goes, okay, well, maybe it's the town over. So then he goes to that police station again. I don't know what you're talking about. Another police station, nothing. So he can't find his son, even though we received this call. At this point, it's 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning. And he's all, you know, he was already up, not going to be going back to sleep anytime soon. So he figured he would go to the last place that he knew his son lived. And he went there, and he got there about 5 a.m., and he pulls up to this crack house, and he walks into this house, scat furniture scattered all over the place, mattresses all over the floor, people passed out everywhere, and he goes to look for his son and finds him in one of the back rooms 
of this house. And he sees his son lying asleep on this mattress. And this, and this dad's heart breaks for his son. And he kneels down and he kisses him on his forehead and he leaves. About three months later, his son comes back to the family out of nowhere. And then another, a couple weeks later, again, he came back and then he came back and he came back. And the dad finally just had enough courage to say, you know, why, why would you uh, kind of come back? What, what drew you out of that life? And the dad said, dad, you don't know? And the dad's like, I have no clue. Well, dad, it was that night. It was that night when you came and found me. That call from the police, that was one of my friends. They called you as a prank to get you out in the middle of the night. To, to, and we were all laughing that you were out in the middle of the night looking for me. But the one thing we never imagined was that you would come to the house. And Dad, we saw you coming. We dove for our, our beds. We pretended to be asleep. And you came into the house and you found me. And I knew that you were going to be so furious that you were going to kick me as hard as you could. And Dad, you know what changed me? You knelt down and you kissed me. And it changed his son's life. Why? Because being cherished, being accepted, being loved, we know we deserve to be kicked as hard as we could. Yet just like that father... God the Father kneels down and he kisses us and he welcomes us in. He says, I am well pleased with you. Do you know that kind of love from the living God? Because once that goes from a theological concept to something that we deeply embrace, our lives will never be the same because we are now freed by the grace of God, not our performance. The son wasn't accepted because he did well. Quite the opposite. His father accepted him and loved him, and that is the love we get from our father as well. There's much more we can say about this, but are you living based on your performance? How many likes you get on social media? What kind of grades you get? How much money you make? how much you're advancing in your career, what you look like, the things you achieve, how your golf score, whatever it is that we feel like we have to perform to validate ourselves, all of that is the antithesis of the gospel. We feel like we've got to, belong, we've got to perform in order to belong, and God says you are mine. Would you receive that kind of love by faith this morning? Let's pray. God, uh, I just ask, Father, that you would, would use uh, the message of the gospel, the beautiful message of the gospel, that God, not just, um, not just that I can't work to get there, it's almost in spite of my work, you love me. Father, in spite of our sin, you love us. And so, Father, I ask that we would all come to that place 
where we trust in Jesus alone for salvation. What validates in us, us in this life is being loved, uh, loved like that. And Father, the only love that, the only place that can come from is from you. God, bring us to that place where we just live in that lavish love rather than this incessant need to perform to validate ourselves. God, free us by your grace. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.